After we checked out at the Flea Bag Motel, Carla and I stopped for breakfast at a hole-in-the-wall diner called Ruby D's. It was a noxious little affair, replete with the cholesterol-laden cuisine you'd expect from a restaurant catering to long-haul truckers and passers-through. I sipped my coffee and rubbed my aching head while Carla looked up the Register of Deeds office for Reed City in Osceola County. She dialed the number, and it only took her a few questions to learn the probate and family court office was located in the same building. We were after any documents pertaining to the transfer or sale of the property where Trudy's old trailer was located, as well as the family court information for Trudy's son. Both had the possibility of getting us closer to the location her son now resided. From Carla's side of the conversation, I could tell she was being informed that, for a small fee, we could obtain a copy of the property deed, but that in all probability, the family court records would be sealed. I anticipated as much. Our best hope was that since her ex had died in the fire, his family would have been responsible for the sale of the property, and not only would their names be listed on the deed, so would the new owners. We could head out to the property and see if they had information pertaining to the location of the grandparents. It wasn't exactly a long shot, but not a sure thing either. Carla vibrated with excitement across the table as she clicked off her phone. Okay, 15 bucks and we can get the deed. Don't get your hopes up. The new owners might not know anything. The sheriff's office is right next door so I can get Trudy's arrest records too. She pulled a key ring from her purse and held up a thumb drive attached to a key fob. They said if I brought a thumb drive, they would load the files right on it and waive the printing fee. You just have to show them your PI badge. It wasn't like she was telling me anything I didn't know. I'd been doing records checks at different local municipalities for years. I knew the drill. Mainly, I was buying time. I knew I had to tell her about my conversation with Orecchio the previous night, and it wasn't a discussion I was looking forward to. Being distracted by Trudy's problems was the only thing keeping Carla from giving in to that fog of memories she'd been disappearing into more and more lately. I didn't like how it made her look, and even more, didn't like how that look made me feel. I held my cup out so our waitress could refill my coffee as she made her round. How is it you're so goddamn perky this morning? Don't you get hung over? Because I took two aspirin and forced myself to drink four cups of water at the hotel last night after I took my shower. I admit what came out of that bathroom tap tasted like swamp water, but I remember hearing somewhere that if you drink an equal amount of water to the amount of alcohol that you've consumed, it staves off a hangover. Dehydration, Morneau. It's a pretty simple concept. I don't drink water, as a general rule. Aside from my morning coffee, I prefer all my liquids to be at least 5.8% ABV. One of Carla's eyebrows shot up. Pardon? ABV. Alcohol by volume. 
Carla leveled her gaze at me as she shoved a fork full of eggs into her mouth. Then she scrunched her nose and tilted her head. Wait, is the 5.8% arbitrary? I downed my third cup of coffee. Absolutely not. ABV is the standard accepted measure of how much ethanol is in an alcoholic beverage. When you hear the word proof with regard to alcohol, that's another form of measurement, which here in the United States is double the ABV number. So a 40% ABV would be 80 proof. And I won't bore you with how the United Kingdom arrives at their proof number differently based on a 1.75 ratio rather than doubling it, mainly because your eyes are starting to glaze over. Suffice it to say, my beer of choice is Dortmunder Gold, and it is 5.8% alcohol by volume. It's gold in color, moderately bitter, sports a well-attenuated body that's crisply carbonated and sharp in taste due to the higher-than-average calcium carbonate level. The local water where it's brewed at the Great Lakes Brewing Company contains a lot of sulfates, which allows them to use less hops to avoid the harsh notes. This subtlety ingratiatingly emphasizes the malt flavor. Mugs got me hooked on the stuff, and if I'm going to drink anything weaker than scotch, it's Dortmunder. During my educational bout, Carla's face slid from the sarcastic stance of her trademark single eyebrow at half-mast to a flat, expressionless stare. In summation, what you're telling me is that you don't drink anything but coffee and alcohol. I have a soda, occasionally. Carla was mortified, as evidenced by her eyes widening to the size of poker chips. So, liquor, coffee, and soda. That's the sum total of your fluid intake? When I said, what else is there? She groaned. Oh, fuck's sake, Morneau. You're doing a bang-up job of keeping your liver in the manner to which it has become accustomed. Inundated. I don't eat vegetables either. I offered with a larger-than-necessary smile. Carla dropped her fork onto her half-eaten plate with a clatter and slid it to the center of the table. When the waitress sailed by and dropped off our check, Carla snapped it up and grabbed her purse, shaking her head at me in a way that illustrated her exasperation. Oh, for God's sakes, let's go. I want to get Trudy squared away before your organs form a union and decide mass termination of all bodily functions is in their collective best interest. She was still shaking her head as we motored onto the highway headed toward Reed City. Sometimes I wonder how you're still drawing breath. The human body is a mysteriously wonderful thing, isn't it? There's a naturally occurring body process called endogenous ethanol production, or autobrewery syndrome. It's when fermentation occurs in the gut due to overproduction of yeast, turns the enzymes into alcohol. So theoretically, Someone who doesn't drink could get drunk on the overconsumption of carbohydrates. Carla flipped on the radio as she pulled a tube of lipstick from her purse and checked her face in the mirror hanging on the back of the passenger sunlight. I turned the volume down a few notches. The pen-tailed Malaysian tree shrew regularly consumes a daily amount of fermented nectar that would equal 9 to 12 glasses of wine yet they exhibit no intoxicating effect. 
I find that as fascinating as it is depressing. Imagine drinking so much and never getting drunk. Hmm, imagine that. Carla's tone was that of exaggerated boredom as she looked straight at me and tuned the volume up a couple of decimals. I spoke loudly over the rack. I read somewhere that chemical tests done on ancient pottery revealed the first beer was produced around 7,000 years ago in Iran. And there's a 4,000-year-old Sumerian poem honoring the patron goddess of brewing that contains what's believed to be the oldest surviving beer recipe. Fucking fascinating. Carla snapped the visor back into place and turned the radio up to a level that made further conversation inadvisable. Even so, I belted out a few more alcohol fun facts, including how the first U.S. Marine Corps recruiting station was held in a tavern and brewery in Philadelphia called Tun Tavern. Carla pretended not to hear me until I said, By the way, I talked to the FBI guy last night. That got her attention. What did he say? So you can hear me. Yes, Morneau, I can hear you. This may or may not come as a shock, but I'm not interested in your alcohol trivia. Also, I'm not remotely impressed by the fact that you seem intent on sloshing towards your end on a foamy crust of beer, scotch, and curmudgeonly discontent while rubbing everyone's nose in it. I don't find that all that fucking amusing. So for future reference, if you feel the need to wring your own pre-death knell, how about doing it when I'm not within earshot? Got it. From now on, alcohol talk is verboten. I turned the radio back on. Carla immediately turned it back off. Forgetting something? My brows met in the center of my forehead and danced a little tango of overly dramatic rumination as I tapped a finger on my lips. Carla watched me out of the corner of her eye for about 30 seconds before reaching over and smacking me in the head. I figured I'd tortured her enough for one morning, so I proceeded to bring her up to speed. So, Laurentio is in Argentina, but he's probably in Florida now, unless you have any reason to believe he'd have gone to Texas. Carla shook her head. He doesn't have any friends or family in Texas that I know of, but I wouldn't put anything past him. I don't have a clue about who the man really was, or is. Our entire relationship was one big subterfuge. We slid into the center of Reed City proper 20 minutes later and parked on Upton Street, directly in front of the courthouse annex. Our first stop was the probate family court building, where it took us all of three minutes to establish that we wouldn't be getting any family court records because they were sealed. A quick jaunt down the hall to the Register of Deeds office yielded a copy of the deed to Trudy's old residence after the clerk photocopied my P.I. license and took $15. We spent a little more time at the sheriff's office because they were in the process of booking a team for trying to pry open the change machine at the local laundromat, which was, incidentally, two blocks down the street. I had to give the kid credit for trying to pilfer change while two cops had coffee at a diner across the street. We got back in the car and drove two blocks down the street to the library, gathered our paperwork, and went inside to use their Wi-Fi. While I perused the popular fiction, Carla plugged a thumb drive into her laptop and began reading Trudy's arrest history. 
Whenever I find myself in a library, I always check to see if my books are on the shelf. As it turned out, the Reed City Library had paperback copies of my entire oeuvre. For some reason, I pulled out number six, the one that was published shortly after Marjorie died, and number seven, the only one I'd written since. The author photos on the back were in stark contrast to one another, a perfect snapshot of what I was and what I'd become. The sloppy, carefree smile in the picture on the back cover of book six, with me leaning against a large oak tree outside the library where Marjorie had worked, juxtaposed against what looked like ten years of age I'd donned in the picture on the back of book seven. Muggs had taken that last shot of me sitting at the bar with my tie askew, and eyes that had acquired more baggage in the interim. The sloppy smile was still there, but this one was a farce, a parody of its original slapped on to feign life. I was drunk when he took the picture, but when the publisher asked for a new bio photo, it was the only one I had, and since I didn't feel like taking the time to get a professional one taken, I cropped it myself, adjusted it to black and white in Photoshop, and sent it to them. I started book eight ages ago, but it currently languishes on my hard drive at a paltry 20,000 words. Thing is, lately, I've started to feel that itch writers feel when they need to purge. But it's a disconcerting itch. One I'm not sure I'm ready to scratch. The process of writing says more about the writer themselves than their chosen subject. And I don't know if I'm ready to explore the why of my sudden yen to get back in the saddle. I suspect there are some answers there I'm not ready to look too closely at. The first being, if Carla's sudden appearance in my life has any bearing on my newly acquired itch. Second, and equally unsettling, whether I've still got it in me to write at all. The incessant psst, psst, coming from across the library tugged me out of my reverie before I was able to start asking myself some of those uncomfortable questions. I walked back to the table Carla had commandeered and found her agitated as she pulled out the chair next to her and impatiently motioned for me to sit down. Okay, so here's the abridged version. Carla tucked a long tendril of hair behind her ear and pointed to the screen. Trudy's arrest history is basically a long and winding road of misdemeanors. Shoplifting, check-kiting, possession of marijuana, petty theft, prostitution. But the meat and bones of her criminal history was her involvement in meth-related activity. She spent almost two years in jail after that house fire. Carla read from the judge's finding and scrolled further down the document. Uh, yada 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 displayed other disregard for the lives and safety of others when defendant failed to remove her son from a home where methamphetamines were being produced. She was first released on probation for a year into the custody of her mother, Shirley Harris. The court had required Trudy to show proof of viable living arrangement in order to get visitation with her kid. Jesus, Morneau, she was only 19 at the time. That means she's... Carla scrolled back up to check something on the document. Let's see, the kid was three when this happened. There was a year after her jail time where she was having supervised visits with him, although he'd been sent back to live with the ex's parents. Then something happened, which I'm going to get into in a minute, 
but it's why Trudy ended up in Detroit, I think. And then four years in the interim, that leads us to today. So she's, hmm, the kid's nine now. He was three at the time of the fire. Trudy's only 24. Shit, did you realize that she was that young? No, but I figured she looked older than she was. Meth will do that to you. Carla rubbed her face and then clicked open another document. Okay, here's the thing. That's something else I referred to. The last report I have here is an arrest for trespassing and vandalism of a place called the Osceola Inn. I leaned over her shoulder to look at the laptop. Isn't that the old hotel at the end of the block we drove by? Carla was already nodding. Yeah, it's empty. So what's the story there? Because if you look here, this says there's an attached report involving kidnapping. At first I thought maybe she kidnapped the kid. But it says here that she was the complainant, and the defendant in that case was Stephen Sims. So Trudy was kidnapped. That's what I'm thinking. I tried to put the puzzle together with too few pieces. Carla closed the laptop and gathered her things. I want to go back to the sheriff's department and see if we can get a copy of that report on Sims. Fifteen minutes later, we were back in the car, plugging the thumb drive into the laptop. The story that emerged was not only unpleasant, but spoke to a far seedier backstory than we'd already unearthed. The initial report was a missing persons report filed by Shirley Harris on behalf of her daughter, which appeared to have been filed three months prior to the criminal charges against Stephen Sims for kidnapping. Trudy was found in an abandoned hotel that was, ironically, four blocks down the street from the sheriff's office, where Carla and I were currently parked. Apparently, Trudy had been shot up with heroin on a regular basis to keep her malleable enough that she was under her captor's complete control for a period of three months, before an officer making his regular round saw what he thought was a light flashing in a building that had been boarded up and uninhabitable for years. We should talk to the mother. I scratched at the three days' worth of stubble on my chin. Well, that shouldn't be a problem. It says here that she's the owner of Brothers Bar on Upton Street in Reed City. Carla tapped my shoulder and motioned out my left window. I leaned over to get a better look out the window. Brothers Bar was two blocks down the main drag on the opposite side of the road. Jeez, is everything in this town within a 12-block radius? Carla opened the passenger door and slid out. Morneau, that sounded an awful lot like you complaining about having to walk into a bar. Less a complaint than an observation. But I need a drink, so let's mosey on over and see if Miss Harris is in. I think you've confused wants with needs. Maybe that's your problem. Last time I looked, I didn't have any problems. Aside from my nagging secretary. I called this out over my shoulder as I crossed the street in front of a slow-moving pickup truck. Carla mistimed it and had to wait for the truck to pass before catching up with me. Then maybe it's your eyesight. If you're looking and you can't see any problems, I mean. When was the last time you had those holes in your face checked? If by checked, you mean someone prodding around in them with some kind of fancy scope, then never. Carla blocked my entrance to the bar. Oh my God, you've never had your eyes checked? Are you kidding me? Is there some law I don't know about which states it's a requirement for American citizenship? I nudged her out of the way and pulled the door open, waiting for her to enter. 
Your lack of interest in your own physical upkeep is fucking staggering. That alcohol-sodden meat suit is only going to get you so far, buddy. Carla turned on her heel and entered the bar. I could say the same about your over-interest in said upkeep. Now quit yammering and let me handle this, will you? It was just past noon and the small tavern was already doing a tidy stream of business. A television flashed the news of the day. A square space, nothing fancy. Just enough to give the town drinkers what they needed. Free-flowing alcohol. Shelter from the November wind. A bit of company. And cable news. In case you were short on something to complain about. I grabbed Carla's arm as she approached a stool, and a woman wiping down the end of the bar tossed the rag over her shoulder and headed toward us. Do I need to invoke the 500-word-a-day rule? Fuck the 500-word-a-day rule. Carla muttered under her breath, before turning to smile brightly at the woman who just sidled up across the bar from us. Um, hi, my name is Carla Danning, and I'm looking for Shirley Harris. You found her. The woman slid two cocktail napkins in front of us as I took the stool next to Carla and mulled over my punitive options. We'd like to ask you a few questions if you don't mind. I propped an elbow up on the bar and casually leaned my head against the knuckles of my fist. Actually, she'd like to ask you a few questions. I'd like a pitcher of Ice House and two shots of Johnny Walker. When Carla's head snapped in my direction, I knew I'd hit the retaliatory bullseye. I thought you only drank Dortmunder beer. I shrugged. I'm feeling experimental.